Good morning, everybody. Um, we weren't here last week. We had a granddaughter um, test positive in the week after Christmas, and uh, we were pretty uncertain as to what was going on. Um, whether we were a close contact or not, whether we'd been in contact with her for 15 minutes or four hours, um, whether we needed to go into isolation or quarantine and what the difference was for how long and from when, whether we needed a PCR test or not, whether anyone else in the family was infected, how much food we had left in the fridge. <laughs> there was a lot of uncertainty in our lives for a couple of weeks, so I thought today we might pray about uncertainty, so let's pray. Father, today we bring before you our uncertainties, our anxieties, our fears, our worries. In these days and weeks, we just don't know who might get sick, who might end up in hospital, what might happen to me, will my family be safe, will our national and local medical resources lose control and no longer cope, what might happen to my job, what could be next for our church? Are we headed for some sort of catastrophe? When will it all end? Father, we confess we're struggling with our uncertainty, especially when the media and the politicians and the world leaders are saying things like, we've got no clear answers, things will get worse before they get better, and we're not sure how the next few months will play out. And it's even harder for us when so many and vague expressions like social distancing and Close contact and self-isolation and self-quarantine, they're repeated over and over and over again on the news and social media. Father, forgive us when we clutch here and cling there for security, when things seem so out of control. Forgive us when we want so much, just a little bit of clarity and uncertainty. Forgive us when we feel paralysed with fear of the unknown, thinking on worry after worry, yet adding no more time to our lives. Forgive us when we're dealing with uncertainty, yet we fail to pause, to take a breath, and to come to you with our anxieties and cast them at your feet. Forgive us, Father, when we fail to thank you for every new day we have, for every new day you give us as we go on with our worrying about tomorrow. Father, help us to understand our mind is the big battleground in these stressful, uncertain times. Help us understand that the more uncertainty there seems to be, the more we think about everything that could possibly happen, especially the worst-case scenarios which just add to our stress. Help us to remember the Apostle Paul's advice to instead feed our minds and thoughts with things that are, with things that are true and honourable and pure and lovely, and commendable, and excellent, and worthy all praise. All these are characteristics of Jesus, our Saviour. Father, help us to remember that we have the certainty of your nearness, the power of your sovereignty, the reassurance of your good plans and purposes for us, that you will work things for our good, that we can trust you in all times, that we can pour out our hearts to you knowing you are a refuge for us. Help us to remember that you are our source of life. You sustain all you create. Help us remember 
that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ and our priority is first and always to follow Jesus. Father, help us realise that today there are those we love and those we know in our families, workplaces, schools and communities who are really struggling with the fears of uncertainty without the hope of the nearness of Christ. Help us realise what an incredible opportunity we have right now in these troubled times to be beacons of light, of the promise and presence of the sovereign rule of Christ. Strengthen in us our role to reflect the certainty of the love and the goodness and the grace and the glory of God to this broken world. Help us to behave and act calmly and securely, knowing for us all things are secure in the firm and faithful hands of our loving God. Help us to get going and embrace each day as it comes. Help us understand that we are needed and we're needed now. Help us realise to be alert that our role may be to encourage or comfort someone else today by a conversation in a queue, a text message, a phone call. Father, we pray let this be a time for we Christians to stand up and stand strong for Jesus. And so we ask this in his precious name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. It's a great prayer. I love the uh, Wayo Deo. I think that's the sermon for today. Uh, just rocking along, wasn't it? That is fabulous. Okay. Um, yeah, let's throw it up, Dave, if you'd be so kind. I love the previous picture of sailing. I spoke, I think, a year ago on uh, sailing home or coming home, and uh, that was, uh, yeah, very lovely. Thank you. What have we got? Oh, we've got a thing here, haven't we? There we are. Whatever Happened Here? It's a, that's the, the title. Dave said to me the other, what's your title? I said, oh, uh, yeah, okay, Whatever Happened Here? So last week, uh, Willie Stewart, uh, and, and good morning to, to you at home, and particularly to Willie, um, and, and many of you who, who are home, and, and uh, bless you, hope you enjoy your time with us here today. Even though you're not with us, you're with us. Willie gave us some excellent big picture teaching on the gospel and God's overall plan to usher in the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ and how to live in this kingdom, uh, which is being established under God. She reminded us about asking the right questions. It was interesting that uh, how these things work is that I didn't know what Willie was speaking on and some weeks ago I've been thinking about speaking about the gospel. So she gave us the big picture. I'm hoping to give you... A, a little bit of the same, in, in, but, but focused in the... So I'd like to talk today about what happened to a group of people in the city of Thessalonica, which is in Macedonia, as modern-day northern, northern Greece. How they grasped that clear understanding of the big picture and how the power of the gospel impacted them and in turn actually changed the whole nation. It impacted the whole of Greece uh, in such a short time. Their experience is relevant and it's encouraging for us today. Just one church uh, started, had an amazing impact uh, throughout that whole region. The story is recorded in a letter written by Paul 
to what was then a relatively new church in an important Mediterranean, as the trading port of Thessalonica. This was a, a gateway city with trade routes uh, branching out from there all over uh, Greece and Asia. Uh, and it, uh, it, it stretched far and wide its influence. So let's, uh, Dave, if we could, let's just have a look at the Passion Version. Um, we're just going to read the First Thessalonians, if you've got Bibles, First Thessalonians, Thessalonians, chapter 1, uh, verses, I think, 1 to 10. Should we say it together? It'd be different, wouldn't it? Yes, just join me as we say. So from Paul, Silas and Timothy, we send our greetings to you, the congregation of believers in Thessalonica, which is in God, uh, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. May God's delightful grace and peace rest upon you. We're grateful to God for your lives, and we always pray for you, for we remember before our God and Father how you put your faith into practice, how your love motivates you to serve others, and how unrelenting is your hope filled patience in our Lord Jesus Christ. Dear brothers and sisters, you are dearly loved by God, and we know that he has chosen you to be his very own. For our gospel came to you, not merely in the form of words, but in mighty power, infused with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. Surely you remember how we lived our lives transparently before you to encourage you. And you became followers of my example and the Lord's when you received the word with joy of the Holy Spirit, even though it resulted in tremendous trials and persecution. Now you have become an example for all the believers to follow through throughout the province of Greece. The message of the Lord has sounded out from you, not only in Greece, but its echo has been heard in every place where people are hearing about your strong faith. We don't need to brag on you, for everyone tells the story of the kind of welcome you showed us when we first came to you. And everyone knows how wonderfully you turned to God from idols to serve the true and living God and how you eagerly expected his son from heaven, Jesus, the deliverer, whom he raised from the dead and who rescues us from the coming wrath. A great passage of scripture. Gosh, there's some meat in there. Interesting, the story is actually written backwards, you probably noted uh, Paul and his colleagues, uh, Silas and uh, Timothy, explain what feedback, in fact, they'd received on their travels about the influence the people from this particular church were having. So it's a sort of backward thing, isn't it? He's reporting back, this is what we've heard. Paul and Timothy paint, uh, point out a number of things that help us understand what happened to them. And, uh, Dave, if we can just uh, throw up those four, four things we're just going to talk about. They remember, oh, sorry, not yet, not yet, as a passage I haven't, just stick to your notes, Michael. They remembered before God, the Thessalonians, uh, work which produ was produced by faith, the work they produced by faith, the labour prompted by love. So it wasn't a hard work, it was something they loved doing, their endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. They note that they were chosen by God, because the gospel came not just with words, but with power, the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. They were so convinced that they risked their lives and faced persecution. 
I guess the question we need to ask, has the gospel so impacted us? So what was the content of the gospel which Paul and, and, and his uh, colleagues preached that had such an impact? Now, these are the four things now. Thanks, Dave. The first one was that they, they tell us that you turn to God from idols. Secondly, to serve the living and true God. And thirdly, to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. And fourthly, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. So firstly, they turn from idols. What is idolatry? Why is it so harmful? In the Western world today, there are probably not too many people who have graven images, although I know one or two. I don't know if you've noticed there's a, a lot of Buddha statues popping up everywhere. That's a graven image, isn't it? But I remember a story uh, from way, way long ago. There was a lady uh, who was very sick, and Bev's dad, who was an elder and a visiting elder, uh, went to see her to pray for her. And uh, when he went in to visit, he noticed this statue, this ugly-looking uh, thing, on the sideboard, and he kept looking at it. His attention was drawn to it. And as they talked, he's asking how long she'd been sick. Uh, she said it'd been a couple of years. And he said, he asked her, he said, well, I don't know, I'm asking you this. When did you get that statue? She said, about two years ago. Hmm, thought so, he said. He said, may I take that? <laughs> and so he took it, took it away, went back to the church, and he said to the handyman there, he said, Laurie, he said, get your hammer. Smash that jolly thing up, he said. Well, a few minutes later, Laurie came back absolutely white as a sheep. George, George, he says, I tried to hit the thing. And as I smashed the hammer down, it, it shot off. He said, I couldn't, I couldn't hit it. George says, give me that hammer. Goes down there, says, in Jesus' name, bang. And he hit this statue and you couldn't see it for dust. It just disappeared in a puff of dust. They're very powerful, some of these things, things which are attached to them. But idolatry extends beyond the worship of graven images. Our modern idols are many and varied. Even for those who do not uh, physically bow before a statue, idolatry can be a matter of the heart. It's pride, self-centeredness, greed, gluttony, a love for possessions, and ultimately rebellion against God. It can include sport, work, and even family. And anything that, as Willie said last week, takes precedence over God. That is why it's so dangerous. The main problem for most of us is that we think that we're the centre of the universe. Don't be really. It's very hard not to think it's all about me. The Bible, which explains the story of God, starts with the words, in the beginning, God. Surprisingly enough, it doesn't say in the beginning, Michael, or in the beginning, Gary, <laughs> or, or you, <laughs> or you. It says in the beginning, God. It starts with God. We start in the wrong place. And some people, if they have any concept of God, try to fit it in around their lives and in their image. For some, here's an insurance policy or someone to help them through difficult times. As Richard prayed, you know, we, we cry out when we're in trouble uh, instead of going to God first. But he is our creator. He's the one who made us and the made the heavens and the earth. When we ignore him or do not give him his rightful place, simply called sin. 
sins, plural, are, are really behaviors. And they're the consequences of not uh, following in, in the Lord's teaching and in his ways. This has led us to separation from him in a, in a self-centered lifestyle. And we see that all around us. Paul lists these kind of behaviors in a letter to the church at Rome. And we'll talk about that a little, a little later on. It's a fairly hard-hitting passage and, and a lot of people don't like to hear the truth today. So what again is the gospel? Let's narrow it right down. It appears in most of Paul's preaching and it's recorded in his letters, in most of his letters in, in one form or another. This particular reference is from the letter to the church at Corinth. He says, I, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand, as many of you have here. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word of God, I preach to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. And this is it. This is the note. For what I received, he said, I passed on to you of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures but appeared to many as proof that he is alive and continues to live forevermore. The Thessalonians believed this message that they'd been reconciled to God through, this, through the death and resurrection of Christ and having turned to him, they loved and served the true and living God. Their changed lives became known all over that region. Something major had happened. They were so excited about this message that they could be connected to God. The good news could travel far and wide because uh, their lives were changed literally. So much so that Paul uh, writes in effect, you've been so changed and eagerly declaring your faith that your reputation has gone before you and in such a way we don't actually need to say anything. In other words, you're putting me out of business. How amazing, isn't it, that this group of people are so passionate about God that they told their story and, and, and the word spread and spread. Ooh, wow. The question begs then, well, you know the question, don't you? Some years ago, uh, Bev and I were at a conference in Sydney. Um, it was a big hotel uh, and uh, masses of people there. And there were two conferences running. One was a, a Christian conference, which we were there at, and the other one was a, a, some sort of a trade conference, conference. I can't remember what it was. And after a, a, a day at the, at the conference, uh, we're a nice hotel, we thought, well, we're going to have a sauna and use the facilities. So we're sitting in the sauna and uh, another couple came in and we got chatting and they said, oh, who, you know, who are you with? Are you with the, the, um, the, yeah, the, the industrial people? I mean, with a, with a thing, or are you with the Godbotherers? And so he said, uh, oh, we're, we're with the Christians. And he said, hmm, he said. And he asked this very in interesting question. He said, uh, is this a sort of club for you or is this a lifestyle? Interesting question, wasn't it? Okay. Ah. That's the trouble. I walk away, then I lose my, lose my notes. <laughs> In fact, when I walk away, I lose my notes. Don't stop there, Michael. Sorry. Okay. The Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, is reported to have said, everybody asked, why? What has happened to them? What's happened to these Thessalonians? These people have broken their idols. 
They worship the one God. They trust in Jesus. They are no longer drunken, dishonest, impure and contentious. Everybody talked of what has taken place among them, these converted people. Oh, he says, oh, for such conversions. As the word of God may stand stand out from from our converts are our best advertisements and arguments. How true, isn't it? The best evangelist in the church is the last one that's come to the Lord, uh, usually hot. Many of you and, and... uh, you know some, many of you know some wonderful people uh, whose lives have been changed by Jesus. Some of them are actually here. We've got some wonderful people in our, in our midst who do amazing things for God. Some of you may know, uh, just an example, um, a couple called Bill and Norma Osborne. I don't know if some, some of you know them. They, they, um, came to know the Lord in, in Sturt Street years ago. In fact, uh, they're David's ventures, David Smythe's uh, contemporaries. Wonderful people, very involved with children's ministry, led uh, hundreds of children to, to Christ. Involved in, uh, I see the Russells there from Alice Springs, they were involved with the indigenous people in the, in the homelands. And, uh, and, and in later years have become involved in a mission in Africa, which they set up. And they're uh, helping, uh, building a school, much the same as we're supporting here, uh, building a school and, and reaching out to their community. They're just amazing people. They live sacrificially and they've realised, in fact, it's not just about the here and now, but the impact they can make for the future. A great, great example to us. People have such a passion for God <clears throat> that they not only think about the here and now, but they think about the eternal consequences. The last two points are a bit linked. We wait patiently for the return of Christ, the second coming, and that, of course, is a a topic in itself, and um, we don't have time to go into that today, but you know there are more scriptures about Christ's second coming than there are about his first. And why? Because he will rescue us from the coming wrath of God. We don't often consider that, do we? To wait for his son from heaven... Listen again to Spurgeon. Oh, this is the high mark of grace. When the Christian expects his Lord to come and lives like one who expects him in every moment. If you and I knew that the Lord would come before this service was over, in what state of heart should we be? (laughs) It's interesting, isn't it? If we knew that the Lord was before the service and the Lord was going to return. He will bring in, he will reveal the new heavens and the new earth where there will be peace and joy and no more pain and suffering, which uh, Richard was uh, encouraging us to put our trust in God. I remember hearing about a friend, uh, his name was Keith Callens, Commander Keith Keith Callens. And Keith uh, was a a naval man, absolutely through and through. He lived out his life uh, for Christ, but he was quite military in the way he responded to the Lord and did things. And the dear man, his time came and he was uh, on his deathbed. His family had gathered around him and he was, he was slipping away. And uh, there was, came a point where he looked up and obviously he saw the Lord coming for him. He had a vision of the Lord coming for him. And he sat up in bed and he said, yes, Lord, and died. An amazing testimony that, you know, it was almost, he almost saluted, you know, the Lord says, come on, come on, Keith, time to come home. Yes, Lord, he says, you know, sat up. And what a, what amazing expectation, wasn't it? I love that, I love that story. It really touched me. 
Lastly, and most important, is the, uh, th- this deliverance from God's wrath. As mentioned earlier, Paul addresses the lifestyle that will attract God's anger, and this comes from uh, <clears throat> Romans, Romans chapter 1, and it's uh, verses 18 to 32, and I'll just, I'll just read it quickly if I may. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Though everything God made, they can, through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, the eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yet, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like and as a result their minds became dark and confused claiming to be wise they instead became utter fools but instead of worshipping the glorious and ever-living God they worshipped idols made to look like mere people or birds or animals and reptiles so God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie, so they worshipped and served the things God created instead of the Creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. And that is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. And and for the sake of the children here and because we're on video, there's a couple of verses which talk about the uh, abnormal behaviours. And it's not that I'm frightened to say it, but I think uh, we'll just pass over those. Adults, encourage you to read Romans chapter 1. really spells it out. So it goes on then. Since they thought it, it was foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of, em- of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarrelling, deception, malicious behaviour, and gossip they are backstabbers haters of god insolent proud and boastful they invent new ways of sinning and they disobey parents they refuse to understand break their promises are heartless and have no mercy they know god's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die yet they do them anyway worse yet they encourage others to do them too Sounds a little bit like the media today, doesn't it? The stories of what we see around us. Now, that's the bad news. No wonder at the birth of Jesus, as we've just celebrated, the angel said, I bring you good news. Today a saviour is born, and he will save his people from their sins. So if we don't realise we've got a problem, we don't know that we'll need a saviour. Sin has separated us. Because of our choices, but our gracious God and his mercy and such love for his creation had a plan right from the beginning to restore our broken relationship. This is the big picture that Willie was talking about last week. He doesn't want anybody to be lost. So long ago he decided that he would pay the penalty for our rebellion, which is death, by sending his, Christ, his son Christ to die for us. You know, that's amazing justice, isn't it? 
Penalty was paid, but not by us. Jesus came willingly to die just at the right time so that we could be reconciled to God. This is Jesus in whom we have been brought back and forgiven. All of us have to make a decision about this. It's not going to go away. For not only did Jesus die, but importantly, he rose again. He rose from the dead. Do you realise too that you and I will rise from the dead? We don't just die and get buried and that's the end of it. We're all, everyone, every one of us is going to stand before our creator and give account of the lives we've lived. If you trust in Christ and accept God's offer, he'll forgive you and grant you a new life. But if you refuse, ultimately, you will be judged and you'll face his anger and you'll be excluded from his wonderful kingdom that is, that is coming. My, my story was that, um, in, in short, the, the, the witness of a changed life of a, of a very dear friend of mine uh, got me so interested. He, he literally frightened the hell out of me with the changes in his life. He was my old drinking buddy. And he stopped drinking and came back, and uh, and I was so so intrigued by what had happened to him. I travelled sixteen thousand miles from UK to Australia to find out what what had happened to him. I went to church. I have to say hesitantly, I wasn't too sure about church, but I, I went to to find out what had happened. And uh, for the first time, I heard the gospel. Never really heard. I, I was aware of God. In fact, had great respect for God but didn't know Jesus. I was in a mess. I was very lost. I was very unhappy. Uh, basically, my, my mum and, and uh, my beloved granny both died in the same year. Uh, Dad took it very badly, uh, married very quickly on the rebound, total disaster. Within about six months, the marriage was over, a lot of shouting, and the family broke up. 17, I left home, left school, dropped out, and uh, started to drink very heavily and behave very badly. That is an English understatement. And um, so when my friend was so changed, I, I sensed he'd found something, and, and so I, I, I pursued this. The preacher got up and explained, and, and uh, uh, some of us know, Daryl Les Posson used to get me, he's got so enthusiastic, he's preaching, and uh, he starts to talk about um, the, the fact that uh, for, for many of us, for, for people, there is an emptiness within us. There's a sort of vacuum. And this can only be filled by Christ. It can only be filled by God himself coming in and filling this, this vacuum within us. And uh, it said, he said, it can't be filled up with anything else. You can try all your toys and, and different things to try and fill that emptiness. But only Christ can do that. And I started to feel very uncomfortable. And my first thoughts were, you wretched friend, I thought you were my mate. You've told this man all about me. You've told, me, you've, you've told him that I'm filling up my, my emptiness with booze. And, uh, I, you know, wait till you get outside, I'm going to smack you. I was, very, I was very upset with him. But as he continued to preach, he preached Christ and he told, he told me, there wasn't anybody else in the room, there were only three or four hundred other people, but he was speaking directly to me. The conviction, as I realised that I needed a relationship with God and only through Christ could this make a difference. 
And he made a call as we, and, and he, I was one of the first out of the seat to respond. It was such conviction. My heart was nearly bursting out of my chest. It was the most extraordinary experience of, of sensing when, when Paul writes to the Thessalonians about the conviction of the Holy Spirit. There was literally, there was this pounding in my chest and, and, and there was no, there was, I, had to, I had to respond. It was a wonderful, a wonderful occasion. And the rest, as they say, is history. The truth of the message will bring about its own conviction. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit. Remember the disciples on the road to Emmaus. They said, weren't our hearts strangely warmed? When Jesus is preaching about himself and revealing the story, weren't our hearts strangely warmed? Isn't that so true? When the Lord's presence is with us, our hearts are strangely warmed. Will you, like the Thessalonians and many here, Turn to God from your self-centred lifestyle. Love him, serve him, and wait for him to return from heaven to to deliver you from God's anger. This needs a response. Is God calling you today? Is your heart pounding as the Holy Spirit convicts you of the truth of Jesus? We need to act and respond now. No good thinking, I'll go away and think about what that man said. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of decision. You don't know what tomorrow holds. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, speaking to people online, people sitting at home, you're hearing this message, maybe some of you for the first time. If God's speaking to you, your heart's pounding, please respond. Respond to Jesus. Open up your heart. The kingdom of God is near you, Jesus said. Calls all people to repent, to turn around, have that change of heart like those Thessalonians. Respond to God's offer of salvation. Some of us have, some of you have drifted from the path of God's pathway. And some of you have just been slack. And I fall into that category from time to time. You just just get slack. But it causes all to turn back to him, to continue to love and serve him while we wait patiently for his return. I'm going to pray now. I would like all of us to pray this prayer. It doesn't hurt us, uh, those of us that love the Lord and are already walking with him, just to remind ourselves. It's hard to remember now. It's 40, about this time 49 years ago that I heard this message. It's a long time. There have been many twists and turns on that journey and to wait patiently is quite difficult, isn't it? There are many disappointments on our journey as we walk with the Lord. People let us down. Bad things happen to good people. But in it all, God is faithful. And in those hard times, he he teaches us to grow up and to trust him and to get closer to him. And in those 49 years, I haven't always been faithful, but God has always been faithful. He's never let me down. He hasn't let you down. He's always there. He's always walking with us. Guess who moved? <laughs> and so the Lord just encourages us again today. It's a somber moment. It's the beginning of a new year. What are we doing with our lives? Are we ringing out? Are we, have we just become bland in our Christianity? Are we influencing people around about us? 
Is it just a club or is it a lifestyle of serving Jesus? Wonderful, wonderful God we have. What amazing love he has for us that he would send his son to die for us. Pray with me, please. Just uh, uh, repeat this. Um, Let's repeat this together. Heavenly Father, I'm sorry for not taking you seriously and going about on my own way. Please forgive me. I turn from my godless lifestyle and now turn to you. Jesus, thank you that you came and died in my place, paying the terrible price for my disobedience. Thank you for giving me a fresh start. I trust you to save me, and I ask that you help me always to follow in your ways. Amen. If you've prayed that prayer for the first time, most people here have prayed that some time ago, but if you prayed it for the first time, please let us know. I think at the end of the service we'll put up a, a phone number. You can contact the office. In fact, I think it comes straight through. At the moment, it will come straight through to the, to the screen here. But we're here every Sunday at 10 o'clock. Uh, for those who don't know where we are, we're in the old, uh, uh, old hospital building at Blackwood. You're very welcome. Come and tell us what's happened to you. Let us encourage you on your, on your journey. Let's get alongside you and, and uh, help you to understand more about this wonderful God and his plan for your life. So please uh, don't leave this moment if you're sitting at home. And maybe you've just tuned in by mistake or someone has encouraged you to, to tune into church today. Please accept, accept God's invitation to you so that you may turn from your lifestyle, from your idols, that you may live and serve the living God and wait for his son from heaven who rescues us from the coming wrath. God bless you. Thank you. I think... I think that's it. Um, there's a song. We're going to sing a song. Thank you. We're going to close with a song. Uh, please, you know, we have a prayer room. Uh, if you want to discuss with me or any of the team here, uh, anything's been said. Um, I know most of you are saying, I'm preaching this because I need to hear it. <laughs> we need to hear it. We need to be reminded of the grace of God. And, and to live with him passionately that we could be like the Thessalonian church and, and change the world that we live in. It's still possible. Look what happened then. Whatever happened here. Thank you. Please stand sing this together.
God, why don't we close in prayer? Uh, God, we thank you for uh, the example given uh, by the church, uh, Thessalonians, and the the incredible uh, message of their faith through persecution, through trial, and through all sorts of advers- adversary um, adversity. God, we uh, pray for that type of faith ourselves uh, as we go through. Um, cultural adversities as we go through uh, challenges with our priorities as we go through our own versions of uh, idolatry and we ask for your your strength in that we thank you that you'll deliver us from those things the invitation's always there amen alright if you do want to have um, spend some time in prayer. There is a prayer room at the back of the service. For those of you that are tuning in, tuning in online, there is a phone number uh, that will be on the screen that you can contact. You can SMS with a request for prayer or you can uh, call up and somebody will get back to you as well. Go into your weeks in peace and uh, pray for you and your families. Have a wonderful time uh, together. Um, I think... If there's any kids want to return their things, they're all at the front. Otherwise, that's the end of the service for today. Thank you. Have a good week.